This is Dr. Cheryl Grills, and today we'll be mapping multi-generational racial trauma on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, recommendations, and outcomes comes. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Cheryl Grills. Dr. Grills currently serves as a commissioner and chair of the Los Angeles County Sybil Brand Commission, which inspects L.A. County adult jails. In her leadership in the Association of Black Psychologists, Dr. Grills co-designed the Emotional Emancipation Circles Community Self-Help Model and is the leader of the EE Circles training team. She trains people of African ancestry around the world to facilitate healing circles that address the stress and trauma associated with anti-Black racism. Dr. Grills, thank you so much for joining me on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you for inviting me, Andrea. In the realm of functional nutrition and functional medicine, we talk a lot about epigenetics, and there's a real increased understanding of the impact of life trauma on health outcomes. But you bring a new light to multi-generational trauma, and particularly multi-generational racial trauma. Dr. Grills, can you speak into the realities of multi-generational trauma on the body to help ground us in this conversation? So one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to racism is that it is a process that has been operating globally for at least 600 years mm. on this earth, you know, starting back with Prince Henry and uh, the man that he commissioned, Barara, to write a book to justify his enslavement of hundreds of African folks in Portugal. And what Zarara did was to establish a narrative that essentially relegated people of African ancestry to a status that was outside of the realm of humankind, that we weren't human beings. And to kind of make that narrative work, they had to spell out a host of features or characteristics to justify this um, creation of a status for us you know, that we are not intelligent, we're not moral, we're not trustworthy, we're, we're not lovable, we're not beautiful and intelligent, and all of those kinds of things. And that narrative justified the behavior of people who wanted to enslave us 
And it also um, created a narrative that was hard for us to fight off in terms of seeing it as somehow actually valid and indicative of who we are as people. But ultimately what it did was to create a very harsh reality across generations of people of African ancestry, no matter where we found ourselves in the world. And that even includes areas where there's predominantly black space, you know, like African countries or certain Caribbean countries. So the, the, the consequences of racism are not just embodied in the people in the moment in response to personal experiences of racism. What we are dealing with is the fact that across generations, we have carried mm -hmm. both psychological, the behavioral, and the physiological or neurological consequences and ways of, you know, kind of responding to stress where our nervous system is essentially always on guard right. and ready for fight, freeze and appeasement and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, I just have chills as you're talking and kind of walking us through that through line that brings us to this, as you said, inherited response and, and particularly an inherited stress response and a self-perception, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that self-perception reinforces that response. Right. And it's something that's an individual and also a collective is constantly working with or against, possibly without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is that, for example, my, my family is from the South, from South Carolina. And in the South, it was, you know, a kind of common reality that Black folks could be lynched for the slightest of so-called offenses. And an offense could be merely looking at a white person in their eyes. So when you have family experiences that say, when you see white people think danger, think your life may be on the line, behaviorally and in terms of the family stories that get passed on generation to generation, begins to alter our stress response so that we're always vigilant and on guard and ready for danger. Well, that begins to tear away at the very integrity of our physical functioning, as well as our mental health. But then you add to that, that in terms of the genetic makeup of people, we know from epigenetics that you can pass on stress from one generation to another. And you can even within one lifetime begin to alter the genetic makeup um, and the telomeres in a, yes. in a person's body. So imagine then if we could, if that can happen, like from the Holocaust uh, studies of pregnant women during 9-11, showing that there was a difference in the babies of mothers who experienced you know, more directly 9-11 here in the United States, that it altered their baby's stress response cycle compared to babies whose mothers were not immediately exposed, and that's mm -hmm. a single incident. Imagine what that might mean when you're talking about 401 years of that in the United States. I just, you know, I have to take a pause there because I think we can imagine and we are seeing that uh, impact played out in physiological outcomes. Mm -hmm. 
just at its base level with some of the most chronic disease states. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. There's a fascinating study. It was a dissertation study done in the last few years by some folks in Northern California. And what they did, now this is just looking at a single generation of young African-American, I believe it was primarily boys. And these were kids who were considered quote unquote high risk. They came from environments that um, were under-resourced. They, you could check off the boxes on all of the social determinants of health and how they were at greater risk for health problems. And what they did was they measured the telomeres in these young folks, and then they did an intervention over the course of the year. Now, of course, when they measured them, they found that, they were, that the telomeres were shorter, these children. In fact, they looked more like those of older adults, hmm. seasoned adults. And after the year of intervention, they were able to actually lengthen the telomeres of these young people. So we know that early life experiences can immediately begin to trigger epigenetic changes, but that you can resource people and you can reverse those epigenetic effects. But again, I go back to my statement, what are we dealing with if we have multiple generations that have had this epigenetic transmission in terms of the impact on the stress response cycle what are we really looking at in terms of the effects that it has had over time on health and on mental health and on basic social norms? You know, I don't even have to go to the physiological and the neurological side of things. I can just say when it comes to being Black in America, for example, that means that behaviorally you have a set of do's and don'ts right. in order to survive. Yes, And so my, my behaviors automatically have shifted and they're not, I'm not at my, I don't get to be in my window of tolerance because society ensures that I'm always in the on position, you know, heightened stress reactivity, or I'm shutting down and I'm going into freeze. The everyday actions don't feel safe. And if we're walking around in that environment, as you said, we're always on guard. And if we're always on guard, we're automatically in that epigenetic state that is activating adverse responses. And this is so deeply inbred in the body that it is having an effect from before birth because that's passed on and on and on. You talked about some of the interventions that led to the lengthening of the telomeres. And while I'm curious about that, I want to talk to you about the solutions you offer, particularly emotional emancipation circles. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about those circles and how they support our abilities to address, I don't even know if that's right, recognize right. this impact? Yes. The Association of Black Psychologists in collaboration with the Community Healing Network developed this community-based approach, and it doesn't require professionals to actually deliver this intervention, if you will. This is a community-driven process that involves emancipation from the, the narrative and the mindset of racism. So the narrative has to do with the lie of white superiority and black inferiority. And the mindset that emerges from that is one that 
denigrates everything about being um, of African ancestry. There's nothing positive or redeeming or contributory to society or of value if you're Black. And so we have to change that mindset in the people who are most impacted by it, who are on the receiving end of that, so that they can retell a new narrative grounded in truth and reality of who we are. We are not subhuman, we are human and are deserving of the rights and respects that all human beings should have. But in addition to changing that mindset, which is literally in part a rewiring of the brain so that the kind of go-to schemas for being black are disrupted and replaced with new affirming schemas there's more that has to be done uh, because we realize that the trauma is real with the folks that we were working with and that there's a lot of racial pain that is not just from my personal experiences, but because uh, Black folks are communal, if you are in pain, I'm in pain. If I see something racially harmful happening to you, it will affect me in ways that almost is as, as though I'm experiencing it myself. So there's a lot of resonating to the experience of the the broader community. And that takes a toll on our physical and our uh, mental well-being. And so when people would start kind of surfacing this racial pain uh, and trauma, they needed a way to manage the, the intensity of it and the potential negative effects of it. And so that's when we started including um, the resilience toolkit tools that Nkem and Defo developed uh, in Lumos Transformed. And what we, what we found was that folks really resonated with and used these tools, these very simple tools like settling breath and butterfly hug and lotion and all of those to calm their nervous system down and to retrain themselves to not always be in the on position for heightened responsivity to stress. And that that coupled with the creating of a new mindset was actually liberating for folks. And so the circles really are tailored to learning stress and resilience tools, developing a new relationship to stress, telling the truth of who we are, define the lies that have been told to us over generations, and then the lies we, as Maya Angela said, the lies we then tell ourselves as a result mm. so that we can walk in the world as really free people and not just free from shackles on our arms, but free from the shackles on our minds and our spirits. Right. So beautifully said. We have an amazing podcast I did with NCHEM that we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, it was really moving on safety. I really appreciate how you speak about community as a healing modality that's brilliant. I'm wondering, Dr. Grills, in the realm of functional medicine, functional nutrition, it tends to be a fairly elitist practice, even though it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. How do we bring this awareness, really an awareness that all the things matter for healing more into this community setting to help spread the word, to help, period, to help release those shackles. Right. So I think in part it requires a an appreciation for and a respect for the fact that there are different worldviews about A, what makes us a human being, 
-hmm. and B, what constitutes illness and health, and that the interventions don't always have to be with the individual that involves a lot of technical skill and know-how, but that in fact, people are, we're each other's medicine is actually an African proverb. Yeah, so just my mere presence can be healing to you. Um, just like we know from mirroring neurons that if you're in a calm state and the person in the room that you're with is in a stress state, that you can help them to resonate to your more calm state. And that comes from some basic African science that we know about the notion that we are actually composed of vital force and energy. And that if you can begin to appreciate that, you can use that understanding of making sure people are in connection with in the presence of others as a healing strategy, which is why community healing is a very important foundation to the emotional emancipation circles. It's not one-on-one work. It's always done in groups of people um, to kind of simulate the reality of community. And then the other part of this is that this community healing that happens is aligned with the fact that there's an African understanding of what makes you a human being. And that thing that makes you a human being is not just your physical, tangible self, but it is also this energy, vital force, and magnetic force that constitutes who you are and how you work, operate in the world. And that you're, there's a spiritual element to yes. who you are, right? And, and those, those dynamics and those elements can um, be very effectively engaged and used as a healing process in community. In in fact, we are in an artificial state when we are in the absence of community within the process of healing. So brilliantly stated. Dr. Grills, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and for illuminating your perspectives on this important topic. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 